Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because before we can have a summer of love, we need to make sure we know what love is. Listen to me for just a second. I want you to burn something in your mind. It is better to love and hurt than to never love at all. Okay? It's better to love and hurt than to never love at all. I know a lot of you guys, and and I know it's Memorial Day weekend. Just bear with me. We are going to get to what Memorial Day weekend is about. But I know that some of us have lost loved ones, and those are bitter times. They're sorrowful times. They're hurtful times. But the reason why they're so hurtful is because the people meant so much to you. I know some of us have been in different relationships, even as a kid, and you're in these dating relationships. I mean, I remember in middle school, this one girl, we dated like all of first period, and then she didn't want to date anymore, and I was like, oh, geez, what am I going to do for the rest of my life, you know? But it's one of those things that you go through those things, and if you're not careful, you'll let some of the things that, that hurt you define what love is. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Most people, most people define love based on experiences. And I'll prove it to you. Most people will say, well, I, I don't know what love is, but, but when I experience it, I'll tell you. How do you know if you've met the person that like, you're going to be with for the rest of your life? You'll just know. And you think that's the stupidest answer in the whole world until you meet them. And you're like, wow, it's true. That's okay for spouse. We're not talking about romantic love all summer, all right? But what we are talking about is is really what, what about love? And if people, here's the key, if people usually define love based on their experience, by golly, we better make sure we're giving them a right experience. See, that, that sounds real great until you think about the, the synopsis here. If what I think love is is based on my experience, boy, that puts a whole lot of pressure on my experiences. I'll give you a simple example. I, I grew up in a home. Uh, my dad, uh, he, he liked to drink a lot. That's the politest way of putting it. And, and it was fine when he did other things because he would like mellow out and we'd watch movies and eat marshmallows and giggle. But when he drank, he wanted to fight the world. And if me and my brother were the only ones available, then it was, you know, okay, well, you, it's us. And you know, let me tell you what's crazy. As a, as a small child, as an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old, that was my life experience. So I thought it was everybody's life experience. That's the way me and my dad's relationship was. So I thought that's how everybody's dad's relationship was. Like what my experience was is how I defined everybody's experience. Then my mother got remarried after my father passed away remarried a gentleman named Randy Ruffner, who I call dad. Wow. Like all of a sudden, my whole experience of what it meant to be a husband and be a dad, it changed. That's not downgrading or belittling my biological father. It, I have some amazing memories with him. But my experiences, my environment, will a lot of times dictate what I believe is reality and truth. If that's true, two things I want you to realize. Number one, what has your experiences been? And then number two, how important is it for us as a group 
to give people the right experience. Like Summer of Love, the next couple of months, is all about us interacting with other people and making sure they understand that despite what some of their experiences may have been, this is what love looks like. Non-judgmental, open arm, love you where you're at. Everybody has a right to go on the journey because God allowed me to go on a journey and I'm gonna love you where you are as we go through this thing called life because in the end, every single person in the room is worth loving. Now, that is a simple just introduction so you kind of know where we're going for the summer. But I don't want to leave you hanging on, well, what is love? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, whether it's a paperback or electronic or on your phone. We actually have a biblical definition of what love is. And it's something that you've heard. If you, I have done three weddings this month. All right. Now, I don't ever use 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because I feel like it's just kind of overdone. But it gives you a very biblical understanding of what we want to look at when we talk about love. I'm not talking about this, this love like, oh, my goodness, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with, romantic, ooey-gooey, gushy, kissy love. I'm talking about a love that is very pure and affectionate and motivates people for more. And I believe that's, what Pastor, that's where Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it simply says this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers or the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I have delivered up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing." Leave those scriptures up there for a minute. I'm going to go back through them because I want you to catch something. As I was studying, as preparing, I've read this scripture so many times. But the thing that I want you to catch is listen to, to what it's talking about. It ta first talks about, you know what, if, if I have the gift of speaking in tongues and I can communicate with people. So think about this. When we think about love, love is like this ultimate communication tool, right? I want to be able to communicate with people. And I'd love for people to be able to communicate back with me. That is the spiritual gift of tongues. A lot of people will define it in different things. But the reality is the spiritual gift of tongues was being able to take the gospel and speak to somebody of a different language and be able to communicate with them where they could understand the gospel so they could receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That was the gift of tongues. It became available because of the Tower of Babel. Prior to the Tower of Babel, you had one group, and God looked at them and said, wow, look how powerful these people are. And what were they doing? They were trying to build a tower to reach the heavens. And God says, I'm going to have to disperse them. So he gives them confusion, and he separates them, and he puts different tongues in their mouth. And for the first time in creation, humankind didn't have the same language. Well, the dilemma with that is you had different tribes, in particular the Levites, who were the priests. And if they were going out in this region, and it wasn't like the world, it was just, just more of a region, and they were talking to different people, you would have a language barrier. Well, because of that barrier, God gave the gift of tongues to some people so that they could communicate freely to tell people about Jesus and life and God's word, and they could communicate back. And even though they weren't speaking the same language, they understood each other. You're like, wow, I, I didn't know we were talking about that today. That was free of charge. You're welcome. 
all right? But that's what the gift of tongues was. Listen to what it says. It says, verse 1, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, what does it say? I'm a, a clanging gong or a cymbal. Have you ever met somebody that, that like, like they engage talking so quickly that it's just like, it's just noise? Like you don't really listen, you just, you're just kind of like, like they're going again. I believe that you could have all the right answers and be able to communicate with people and even gain people's ear. But if you don't have a part of love in your life, to them, you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You're just, you're just blab. It's, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher, right? And people are just sitting there going, even though I can understand you, I choose not to listen to you. This summer, I want us to have enough love that people say, you know what, I'm willing to listen. And not necessarily to our words, but to the what we're living and what we're doing. The second thing that he says, which is really cool, another aspect is if I have the gift of prophecy or the way the ESV says is if I have prophetic powers, understanding all mystery and knowledge. Now, just think about this. Number one, he's saying, you know what? Even if I can communicate with everybody, if I have the ultimate ability to communicate with all of mankind but don't have love, I'm just noise to them. Even if I have the prophetic power to be able to understand everything that you ever wanted to know. Well, Mickey, tell me about my future. Well, let me tell you. But I don't have love. It says it's worthless. I want you to think about this for a minute. Communication and understanding what life's purpose is. Are there two things that are more important to most people? Like right now, if I asked you, what are some of the questions you have for your life? Mickey, I just want to know what God wants for me. I want to know what the future holds. I want to know if this is the right thing. I want to know what God's calling me to. I want to know. If you had the ability to tell those things to people, but you don't have it with an aspect of love, God says, useless. And then he goes one step further. He says, even if you have faith, he says, enough faith to, to remove mountains. And we know that Paul's talking back to this, this concept where there was this demon possession in the New Testament. And, and the disciples are trying to cast out this demon, and the demon was not listening to them. And Jesus comes along, and he says, rebukes him. He says, some things only come out through fasting and prayer. And then he tells them that if you would have the faith of a mustard seed, you would be able to look at the mountains and say, move, and they would cast themselves into the sea. He's saying, even if you have that type of trust, you have that type of faith, that type of belief, it matters nothing if you don't love people. You can communicate with people all you want. You can understand everything that they need in their life. Even to the aspect of giving them who Jesus is and what it means to have a faith-based relationship with him. You can have all three of those three major pillars that govern most of us. And if you don't love people, you got nothing. 
you're useless. In 2022, we are in a little bit of a dilemma. The church has somehow lost its voice. And let me tell you why. Because we were so caught up on growth that we stopped loving. We were so caught up in programs that we stopped recognizing people and where they were. And we started trying to create this, this like this is the model of what a Christian would look like rather than realizing that, you know, they, 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 we, we sloppy. We, we got baggage. We got struggles. Like, I don't know about you, but every week there are things that I could work on. But we get so caught up in trying to create something that we've stopped being something. And Paul doesn't stop there. Listen to the next verse. He says, this is verse 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Even, listen to me, even if you're generous and sacrifice everything. Even if you turn around and say, oh, but not me, Pastor Mickey. You know, I, I'm going to be this martyr. I'm going I'm to forsake my life. I'm going to do all these things. If you do those things and love is not in the middle of everything you're doing, Scripture says you're wasting your time. Now, there's a real good opportunity that when he's talking to the church at Corinth that, that the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about this aspect of sacrifice, when he's talking about this aspect of love, he's still got a lot of Judaism that's in that area. And so the sacrificial system would still very much be a part of their lives. And what he was trying to get them to understand is, hey, there's not enough sacrifice that you can give to overcome your need to be loved and to love. And then he goes into this next little part that actually defines. Here's where we can actually get a definition of love. The first part is an actual concept of what love is. Then he goes into all the things that love is not. And then he goes back to what love is. So you can, if you have a paper Bible, I encourage you to write some of this stuff down as you underline. It very simply says, love is patient and kind. The first thing he wants people to understand is love is patient, love is kind. The kind we'll deal with in a minute because it gives you what it's not when it says it's not rude, which is the opposite of kind. But patient kind of had me, it had me at hello. Because I was like, okay, what, is, what does it mean that love is patient? You know, love's What's up? I'm just loving you. That's not what it means. See, the aspect of patience is not just like, it's the aspect of, of worthy to wait on something. In fact, can I look at the opposite? If somebody does not have love and they become impatient, it's not that they're rushing or hectic. That's not the definition. It's the aspect that they quit and move on. See, love is willing to support and stay the course because they know what is there is worth waiting on. The opposite, I don't think they're worth it. I'm not willing to wait. I quit on this, and I'm moving on to the next thing. He says love is patient, love is kind. Then he goes into some of the what love is not. He says love does not envy or boast. Self-explanatory. Is not arrogant or rude. Again, self-explanatory. And then this is an amazing phrase. It does not 
insist on its own way. I will tell you, one of my biggest flaws is I believe the best way to get from point A to point B is a direct line. And some people go, well, I'm going to go through C. I'm going to go A to C, and then I'm going to get to B. And I'm like, why would you do that? That makes no sense whatsoever. Just, just go to, well, I'm going to go up through D and hit a little bit of E and go over to F. And, and they all get to the same end. But I feel like sometimes one of my biggest flaws is that there's always a right way to do things. It's called my way. <laughs> Anybody else in the room feel like this? Is it just me? Come on, raise your hands. Don't leave me out here hanging. All right. Look, some of you guys were quick. Some of you grabbed your husband's hand and raised it for him. But it's, one of those, it's like what Scripture is talking about is that when it comes to love, when you love correctly, you stop worrying about what your way is, and you start allowing people to go on the journey that they need to establish love. That's where you hear me make this phrase, everybody deserves the right to go on their journey. It's about loving them well. Like so many times, we want to help people on that journey. We want to use the word accountability. I'm just here to help hold you accountable. No, you're not. You're insisting on your own way. And the way God brought you into this amazing life, into a love relationship with him, and has you growing, may not be the same way that he reconciles and brings a person to repentance. And they may, they may take a little bit longer. Well, I accepted Jesus when I was six years old, and I've been following the gospel ever since. Well, good for you. I wasn't like that. I had a little bit of a hellacious moment from about 13 to age 17. It took me a little bit longer, okay? But you know what? Everybody has a right to go on their journey. Don't discount somebody else's journey based on your ways. Love them well despite it. And then he keeps going with the other things that it's not. He said it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Oh, goodness. I don't, I'm not going, I don't even go there. That's where I get fired. But, but here's what it does. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then the very first part of verse 8, love never ends. You know, the crazy thing about God's aspect of defining love in a biblical sense is he really hones it in really, really, really well. But the reason why he hones it in is because he wants you to understand one major thing. Until the new heaven and the new earth is set up, love will never end. And even in that point, it's only the beginning for eternity for you to understand what love is. But yet, is there anything in this world that we get more confused than love? We let songs, like what I started out with, define what love is. We let movies define what love is. We let magazines or books define what love is. We let relationships that we've had define what love is. There was this guy in my life, and he told me he loved me. Surely he wasn't lying to me just because he wanted something. No way, Jose. He loved me. So this is what love Maybe that. Maybe what love is is exactly what Jesus is saying in God's word. So question number two. 
If you compare the way you love people based on what we just read, how does your love compare? I know, that was a little bit cheap, right? Like, who can measure up to that, right? Can I ask it a different way? You may not be able to measure up to what God's standard is as far as love, but he ever tried? Not that you're going to be perfect, not that you're going to do it the right way, but have you ever loved somebody because they're worth loving and, and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to at least give it the good college try? He talks about love doesn't end because he goes into these things that will end. Listen, he goes back to those three things I talked about in the beginning, these pillars. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall also know fully as I have been fully known. So now abide this famous scripture, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We all love that scripture, right? We all have a desire in this room to what? Be loved. We, none of us want to get to the end of our life and sit in a room by ourselves wondering if anybody cares. I'm going to chase a real quick rabbit. It's Memorial Day weekend, launching the summer. For some of you, the greatest thing that you could do to launch your summer is to go to some of the amazing grandparents that you've had that are in a retirement home or in a facility and just go visit them. Just let them know that you haven't forgotten. Now back on the message. But as far as love, what is it God's really calling us to do? You know, he gives us this other big three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Do you know at no point in Scripture does God ever say, now I need you to go out and hope well. Go out and, and hope on everybody. He never says, hey, I, I need you to go out and, and have some faith well. Like, go out there and faith on people real good. Go trust them. But listen to what he says in John. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In fact, if we can look in Matthew, you can look in all of the synoptic gospels. When they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. But the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he has this other part that we never read. He says, on these two things, all of the laws of the prophet hinge. You know what he's saying? The way that you love God and love people will dictate where this whole society's going. Why? Because people's experience determine how they think of love. So my question is, what are we giving them as far as an experience? And then he goes to this next verse, and we're almost done. He says, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. I don't mean to be cliche. I don't mean to be repetitive. But on Memorial Day, I always think about this verse because I always think about one major concept. And if you've heard me say this before, please just give me some grace for allowing me to share this with some other people in the room. There's only been two people that have ever died for your freedom. 
One was Jesus Christ to give you spiritual freedom. The second was the American soldier to give you an earthly freedom. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's not a time to be like, hey, if you've ever served, man, let's recognize the people. That's Veterans Day. That's in November. Memorial Day weekend is the moment that we stop and we pause and we realize there have been people that have given an ultimate sacrifice for you to have and do all the things that we do in the United States. This isn't a political platform message. This is a truth message. People have sacrificed their life. Even though today you're thinking, woohoo, Memorial Day, opening up the pool, launch of the summer. There's some families that are sitting around bawling, crying, having a cookout, sharing memories, looking at old uniforms from the military, talking about loved ones that passed away, whether it be Vietnam, whether it be in the Persian Gulf, whether it be over in the Middle East, whether it be in a granddad in World War, I mean, whatever it may be. There are people that have sacrificed that don't know you and you don't know them. But they thought your freedom was worth it. You say, Mickey, how do you handle something like that? I make sure I live in freedom. See, if somebody was willing to give up their life for me to have freedom, then the last thing I'm gonna do is spit in their face and live in shackles. If they've given me freedom and they've given their life for their freedom, if somebody's son or daughter sacrificed their life for me to have freedom, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that I embrace the whole doggone thing. I want to be as free as free can be. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm Leonard Skinner, like free bird, baby. Let's go. Like we need, I'm, I'm sorry, this is like name that tune week, sorry. Freedom, right? And that makes complete sense as far as, as the United States and earth, doesn't it? As far as our earthly freedom. But you know what? If, if somebody sacrificed and gave up their life for me to have spiritual freedom, you know how I handle that? I make sure I accept that freedom too. I make sure that I don't let the sins that entangle me trap me and put me in captivity. I let the God of this universe who gave his son to die for my freedom, I allow myself to repent and accept that freedom, and then I don't let people put shackles on me. I don't let different people tell me what that freedom looks like. I use God's word to define his freedom. I let God's truth. Scripture says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I allow that truth to impact my life. And know what? What everybody may say, what everybody may be saying, well, you can't, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. Listen, if it's not unethical, unmoral, or unbiblical, guess what? I can do it because I got freedom. I don't have to live in a spirit of being timid and shackled based on what everybody else's opinion is concerning freedom. I look into God's word and I accept that freedom and I say, Jesus loved me enough to die for me. I'm gonna love him enough to live in freedom. And then he has one more scripture. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, he's referencing back to the aspect of love. He says, I command you to love each other. And he says, greater love is no man than this. And he lays down his life for his friend. 
And he says, and you're my friend. And he's not saying you're my friend because you're going to sacrifice for me. He's not saying you're my friend because you're going to give yourself up. He's not saying you're my friend because, because you're going to die. He says, no, no, me being God and you being people, I will do the sacrifice and give myself up for you. You can be my friend if you'll just do what I command you to do. You say, well, Mickey, there it is. So help me out. What is it that God wants me to do? He wants you to love. He wants you to love him and love people. And he wants you to do it well. That is exactly what love is. It's not this ooey-gooey, make-me-feel-good moment. It's not this, this situation that I can create the, the perfect scenario where, wow, that was just one of the best times of my life. I'm going to remember that forever. Wow, I've never felt more love. It's not about gift-giving to get somebody's appreciation. It's not about certain words of encouragement to make people know that you love them. What love is, it's about you Loving God enough that you don't disqualify any of his people. You say, what do you mean by any? Okay, let me help you. If they have breath, God's still after them. He wants you to love them. Well, Mickey, you don't understand. Some of these people, they have different thoughts than me. I didn't say you have to think like them. I just said you have to love them. Well, Mickey, we just have totally different stances. I didn't say you had to stand with them. I just said you had to love them. You say, well, Mickey, how do I do that? I don't, I don't, like, I don't, everybody I love, it's because of something I benefit from. Like, if we were to get real honest and real truthful, majority of the people that you are in a love relationship with, it's because they have some sort of direct impact in your life or you benefit from their love. And God's saying, what about the person that you don't? What about the person that you're going to love and it has everything to do with you loving them and has nothing to do with what they're going to give you back? I'll give you an example of that. Jesus Christ gave himself up on a cross, died, three days later rose from the grave. And a majority of the people will never accept him but he still did his part to love them. I'm telling you, church, if in the next two months, if this summer, we love people because they're worth loving, who is going to be an amazing summer. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.